All right, well, tis 8.30, tis time for uh, Mr Peter J Black to um, step forward once again, giving us uh, his insights into some online issues and uh, other things around the place. Uh, probably not much of a scoop to say there's been an election called. September 7th is the date, just under five weeks. So, uh, first thing to say, people need to get on the electoral roll. Yes, they have a week. Uh, and they can do so online, it's very easy. Uh, aec.gov.au And, um, yeah, you can also check whether your enrolment is uh, is current, whether your address has been changed, all of those things. So, uh, that's the first one. First thing to note. Second thing to note is uh, local government referendums not happening. Yes, that's... Uh, a little bit disappointing, I think, but that's uh, not going ahead. I think it's a real bummer. Um, but... You were a bit sceptical about this one, weren't you? I mean, I supported the referendum. I oh, actually okay. felt that it would probably fail, <laughs> uh, I must admit. Um, but uh, personally, I would have voted yes for that oh, constitutional change. Uh, but <clears throat> because of the... Uh, provisions in the constitution relating to referendums and the sort of the formalities that are required. Uh, there wasn't enough time um, between when the parliament had its vote on it and the 7th of September for it to go to the public on that particular day. If he'd been willing to wait one more week, that would have made all the difference in the world. Yes. Um, and the uh, the referendum could have also been held. So certainly if, if, if Rudd had gone with the original September 14 date or if he'd opted to go later, uh, the referendum could have still gone ahead. It seems a bit strange that you know, Parliament, both houses of Parliament, and had to be the absolute majority of both houses as well, um, passed this thing saying referendums to be held and the government can still just say, oh, actually, no. Doesn't uh, seems, seems a bit of a subversion of the will of Parliament to me, but uh, maybe I'm just a traditionalist. No, it, there. It, it it does, and I have heard. Uh, I did see on on Twitter over the weekend uh, a few of my constitutional law colleagues mm. um, arguing that perhaps <coughs> it still did have to go ahead right. um, on the 14th of September or at a later date. Uh, I don't actually agree with that reading of it, but there certainly is that, that school of thought that said Parliament has said a referendum will take place. Uh, it now uh, has to take place. But uh, if you think about it then from a practical matter, the expense of having everyone in the country go back to the polls a week later or a month later or whenever you wanted to have it would mm. be... Uh, a little bit ridiculous. Might pe make people more grumpy and want to vote no just yes. to express their grumpiness, yeah, I suppose. Uh, but it does mean that um, it is still a more difficult, not impossible, but more difficult for federal government to fund local governments directly for infrastructure, mm. most um, commonly. And there's certainly constitutional doubt, as I understand it, about uh, whether that's always uh, lawful. Uh, given that there is no mention of local government in the Constitution, it, uh, it, that is the case that it's potentially going beyond the federal government's constitutional powers? It's not so much because the fact that local government isn't mentioned in the Constitution. Uh, it's more the, 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 the tightening we've seen in the last five years relating to the Commonwealth's power to spend. That does seem to be a lot more restricted now. Uh, and so because of that... Uh, it is trickier, certainly, for the Commonwealth to be able to justifiably fund uh, local government directly. Uh, if 
<clears throat> this referendum uh, did go forward, and if it did pass, uh, it certainly would have made it much easier. It would have allowed federal government uh, to fund local government in much the same way they fund state government. It would mm. be, the, be the same mechanism. Um, so it would have been, in my in my opinion, a very logical development. No, so near and yet so far. Okay, well, for the, the election that is going to be held, um, what's going to be about? What's your what's your insight as a uh, commenter of renown about political and social issues? What's, what, what's it going to be about? Unfortunately, I think it's going to be about the cult of personality surrounding Tony Abbott and Kevin Rudd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's really what the election is going to uh, be fought uh, over. Um, uh, and in large part, I think that's, that's going to be able to be done because on some of the uh, issues that where in the past few years there have perhaps had been some differences, we're actually not seeing a lot of differences anymore. So, for mm. example, on asylum seekers, um, you know, both parties have sort of lurched far to the right, so there's, there's not a big difference between what they are proposing, uh, even on something like the NBN now, whereas a few years ago the policy of Labor was support the NBN, the policy of the coalition was let's rip it up from the ground. Mm. Uh, the, 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 the coalition a few months ago announced a policy on the NBN that uh, would be fibre to the node rather than fibre to the home. Um, so again, not a huge difference, a, a, a notable difference, but, but not necessarily uh, a huge difference uh, there. Um, and I think also on the uh, economy, which traditionally has been a strength of the coalition, I don't think and, and the polls support this fact uh, that, that Tony Abbott is necessarily s- as seen as uh, trustworthy on that particular issue. So a, 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 a common area of advantage, historically at least for uh, the coalition parties, uh, doesn't seem to be necessarily present at the same time uh, around. So I actually don't think there is, on a number of policy differences, big fundamental choices to be made. We did see... What to me looked quite extraordinary was a, I think it's fair enough to call a backflip. Um, although pedants always like to say if you backflip, you end up facing the same way as you start. So, yep. um, a turnaround, a U-turn on uh, the school funding. Yes, this was extraordinary. After months and months of saying it's a pile of crap, um, just literally overnight went. Yep, we're in. We're the same. We're we're um, in lockstep. It, it was it was quite odd because as. Uh, even just 24 hours before the education minister Christopher Pine was still bagging, mm. um, you know, Gonski or, or better schools, as, as, as the label now uh, is, and, and all of a sudden the coalition has uh, supported that, which does, uh, I suppose, effectively also serve to neutralise that point of difference um, between between the two major parties. But uh, I, I feel compelled to say there is there is a clear difference still on climate change yes um the coalition would repeal the carbon pricing legislation um assuming the senate numbers allow them to do so uh, whereas uh, labor um whilst making some change i think bringing in the the um floating pricing mm. earlier nonetheless definitely keep keeping it in place so so that's a big one, and uh, I guess it's a, a, a perfect opportunity to also mention the Senate contest. Uh, yes. It doesn't get that much coverage with the uh, focus on the leaders, as you say, um, with Mr Rudd and uh, Mr Abbott, but uh, the Senate 
balance of power very much up in the air, held by the Greens at the moment, but uh, if Bob Catter's mob win a seat in Queensland, which is um, certainly plausible, uh, and as I think we mentioned last week, about 50 or so parties now, a lot of micro-parties, mm. uh, all of which can preference each other and add their little 0.2% onto each other, you could, we could be getting a real wild card uh, into the Senate, and uh, it's certainly quite plausible that uh, whoever that might be could be at least part of a balance of power uh, as to whether or not the carbon pricing survives. Uh, so uh, might be one we're trying to have a bit of a look at yes. over the um, week between now and the election, how the Senate's shaping up um, in a non-partisan way, of course. Of course. Now, Just on, on the Senate, I, I was amused to read, remember we were, a few weeks ago we were talking about the those really big ballot papers in New South Wales that they're having mm. with all these candidates in really small print. The Australia Electoral Commission has ordered 120,000 magnifying glasses. Wow. <laughs> well, that, that would have been something to get into the magnifying glass business That's six right. months ago. That's Have right. seen that coming? Probably could have, actually. If you, yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't think of that, but, yeah. Yes, so uh, we'll, we'll look a, a bit more at the, the Senate contest between uh, now and then. Of course, the first election, the Greens uh, without Bob Brown. Yes. So uh, difference there, which I'm sure there'll be some some focus on. Now, one of the things that happened uh, literally the morning before the election was announced was a, another little sitting down and signing bits of paper ceremony with uh, Mr Rudd and the president or representative of Nauru uh, this time, did it with PNG earlier. Um, a, a new uh, announcement there. Uh, your your legal view on these things? Nauru has a population depends a bit on who you ask, but around about ten thousand. So um, one would think it would have a reasonably significant impact on the social dynamics of the island if uh, three or four thousand asylum refugees sort of settled there. Yeah. In fact, there isn't the space, having been there a few times. Right. Yeah. I mean the the the. This deal that's been struck with Nauru basically runs into the same problems, more or less, that uh, the deal with Papua New Guinea ran into. Um, I suppose one of the, the, the bigger differences may well be the fact that uh, Australia has had probably a, a longer relationship with Nauru in terms of processing asylum seekers going back to the original mm. you know, Pacific solution. Um, which certainly in terms of the Minister's discretion uh, under the Migration Act uh, may well be relevant. But uh, it, 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 does, it, does, it does seem to me at least um, to, to run into some of those sorts of uh, same problems as, as well. Uh, and even just ap apart from, ap apart from the, the legal perspective, it, it just does really seem to be uh, uh, an abrogation really of our our own sense of moral responsibility uh, in, in terms of treating humanely uh, those who are seeking asylum. Well, uh, even though, as you said, there's not necessarily a large degree of difference between the uh, Labor and LNP on asylum seeker policy, uh, I'm sure there'll be uh, a lot of talk about it, nonetheless, Absolutely. during the campaign. Uh, for better or worse, probably for worse, but uh, anyway. We'll go to a song uh, shortly and um, come back and look at a few other things that have happened, like uh, Bradley Manning and Edward Snowden, that sort of thing. A few more, a few more of our usual updates about uh, new apps and the like. Uh, but uh, another election that has happened as well just recently, uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, probably worth noting over the next five weeks whenever you happen to feel disillusioned about the Australian electoral and political process. <laughs> uh, Count your blessings. Uh, you're not uh, you're not in Zimbabwe 
uh, with election time. But uh, another win for Mr Mugabe, who's must be about 85 or something now, I think. He certainly is in his 80s, yeah. Um, and, I mean, election's probably generous yes. uh, to, to describe it uh, ex- exactly as that. But it was, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, another convincing win mm. um, um, to uh, Mugabe, getting 61% uh, of the total vote. Uh, a number of independent uh, watchers from from the US, the UK and elsewhere around the world obviously have cast doubts uh, on the legitimacy of the election and and called for uh, a new election to be held, but of course that's not going to happen. Seems like it's one of those ones where um, to wait until he dies and then things could get even... Well, things could get worse. Uh, Things could get ugly. Uh, Or or maybe that'll... um, present some hope. Well, it could be an opportunity for the African Union and uh, the other nations of Africa to to possibly... I mean, it's just a very easy thing to say and a very difficult thing to do. But uh, anyway, at this stage, Mugabe reigns supreme again and uh, the massive human rights abuses and, uh, and one should say the absolutely decimated, annihilated economy mm. uh, will continue on. And on that cheery note... We'll go to a tune. Um, this one is even older than Robert Mugabe. This song was recorded in 1929. Actually, maybe it's not older than Robert Mugabe. He might... Uh, he, I think he was born before that. But anyway, recorded in January 1929. It's by Helen Kane, uh, who was uh, the most uh, famous singer and actress of the 20s uh, and also the inspiration for the Betty Boop cartoon character. This is a tune by her called I Want to Be Bad. To be or not to be, that is not the question. I decided long ago to be. With me, it's what to be. Now make me some suggestions, good or bad.
gonna be bad. And if this naughty event from then, sleep each morning after ten, then the answer is yes, I wanna be bad. Nobody cares just how soon, how lonesome I am. If I have troubles and laugh, why they don't give a damn. So credit if it's full, so that someone along with Nat Shilkret and the Victor Orchestra. Uh, as I said, the uh, the inspiration for the Betty Boop cartoon character, song called I Want to Be Bad, taken from a compilation CD called The Naughty 1920s, Red Hot and Risque Songs of the Jazz Age. Um, songs that were banned, in fact, uh, as that one was at the time. So uh, women not allowed to be bad. Back in the twenties, or at least not allowed to sing about it. But back to the uh, to the present day, and talking with Mr. Peter J. Black, uh, one local issue that uh, uh, I think very much worth mentioning uh, for the state government involvement this time is the closure of the Biala Sexual Health Clinic uh, in in Brisbane. Uh, I think this is extraordinarily stupid in every way possible, but um, you might have a more balanced view. No, no. <laughs> no, my view's not more balanced. Uh, my, my view uh, is exactly the same. Uh, it, it seems to be a extraordinarily dumb decision uh, to basically uh, cut back the services provided by the Biala Clinic. So it provides sort of sexual health uh, treatment, so STI treatment, uh, diagnostic services uh, and the like. The, the rationale for the cut is that <clears throat> these services can be uh, more efficiently and better provided by uh, general practitioners. Mm. Uh, there are a few, I think, uh, sort of big problems with that uh, assumption, uh, in, especially because, rightly or wrongly, I think a lot of people uh, feel uncomfortable talking uh, to perhaps their long-term general practitioner about uh, their sexual health and uh, about getting STI treatments uh, and tests and uh, the like and prefer to do so in a more... Uh, discreet uh, and anonymous type environment such as the service that Baylor uh, provides um, apart from the fact that also a, a lot of people that had utilised the service uh, over the years as well aren't necessarily people that are going to have sort of strong local regular general practitioners that they can uh, go to uh, in terms of people who are sort of in fly in fly out uh, type uh, professions or, 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 or uh, jobs, um, as, as well as people that are younger, uh, as, as well, that they might associate their family GP very much with their parents, mm. uh, won't be wanting to necessarily go talk to them for fear that they would say something to their parents. Um, and so there's all of these reasons as to why a service like this is needed. Uh, certainly much used as well. Certainly is much used, that's right. And the... Uh, th- 
the, the problem is that when you cut that service out, there is a real risk that people won't be going to get tested and to get treatment, uh, and that you will see, as a result of that, an increase in rates of STIs, which will actually provide in the long term uh, a greater financial burden on the state health system. So it just seems to me to be uh, so short-sighted and just uh, dumb. Hmm. Well, uh, the protests on that and many other cuts uh, will continue, no doubt, but uh, they seem to be quite determined at this stage, which, uh, yeah, is dumb. On to uh, other things. Uh, This one, uh, overseas issues, people might think it doesn't necessarily affect them terribly much, but uh, others argue that it's uh, quite significant in terms of the way governments will approach uh, what people call leaking. Media like to think of as leaking information that they rely on. We saw Bradley Manning, uh, who provided uh, a mountain of material to WikiLeaks, including the... uh, collateral murder video, mm. war crime in uh, Iraq uh, and plenty of other things as well so he, he got convicted uh, managed to not get convicted of aiding the enemy um, which was the biggest yes. um, charge and I think some people are saying oh well you know that's good I mean the guy's going to end up in jail for a very 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 mm, very 20 long time years probably mm. uh, but uh, if he'd convicted with that one would have been life, life. plus a million yes. years yeah. uh, but even I think you know, even the fact that he was charged with that uh, w- would have a bit of a, uh, a chilling, well, a bit of a, a massive chilling uh, mm. feeling for a lot of people, and I think that's part of uh, the reason why they go in so hard on this. Isn't just to to punish Mr. Manning, um, but uh, to be a, a huge uh, indication to, to others to be yes. a deterrent. I think. Uh, to try and stop people who may be tempted from doing something similar. And, uh, of course, we had Edward Snowden, who's uh, leaked a lot of material uh, just in the last month or so about quite extraordinary extent of uh, surveillance uh, of uh, the US and most likely uh, their allies, including Australia. Uh, what's this mean? I mean, is it, you know, most people think, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be likely to leak uh, a million bits of information, but uh, the, the, the scrutiny or the surveillance, rather, uh, is extraordinarily widespread and uh, the possibility of what they might use it for uh, and what it might mean for even uh, uh, media's willingness to uh, to report some of this information and particularly your um, uh, new media that aren't backed by, you know, billions of, of Murdoch dollars or whatever. Yeah, uh... I mean, I, th- I think that's an important point in terms of the impact this may have on the new media. And certainly if Bradley Manning had been convicted of that aiding the enemy uh, charge, it would have been hard to then also s- uh, say that they shouldn't also have prosecuted, for example, the New York Times that published a lot of the documents mm. um, that Bradley Manning uh, uh, leaked as well. So it, it was in many ways a, a good outcome that ultimately he wasn't um, convicted on that particular charge. But with both the Snowden case and the Manning case, we are seeing the we are seeing the governments of the world, led by the United States, uh, have this extraordinary crackdown on uh, government information in terms of the uh, first of all the amount of classified information, uh, and then and then second of all how uh, secret they want it to be. And the flow-on effect, I think, for 
all of us as individual citizens uh, is really twofold. Uh, the, the first is the fact that there is uh, a lot of these activities of governments that we are perhaps unaware of, particularly in terms of the amount of uh, surveillance that they are, uh, are conducting. And that then leads on to the second point, uh, which is the fact that the reality is uh, more and more that the government is using, particularly the US government, but it's safe to assume they're not the only one, um, are monitoring a great deal of our activity uh, online. Um, and we, ha- I think, have a right to be sceptical of that. And... Uh, th- this is actually an area which I think is is pointing out um, a bit of uh, a problem with online regulation more broadly, mm-hmm. and that we are seeing both with the surveillance that is taking place on online, as well as with these laws that are being used to you know prosecute and, and track down individuals like Manning uh, and Snowden, uh, a sort of. Uh, depth uh, and width of those laws in the online environment that are greater and broader than what you see in an offline environment. And so in many ways, um, we are seeing governments and and parliaments being a little bit overzealous in terms of the regulation uh, and the powers that they are granting to themselves over the online world compared to what they have had historically had in the offline world. Mm. Uh, And I think that is uh, a cause for concern. Well, uh, certainly something that's uh, not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I guess uh, linking across to that uh, to some extent or segueing uh, with uh, Twitter, one area where there's uh, undoubtedly uh, significant surveillance and uh, growing attempts to force uh, companies like Twitter to turn over information to government authorities when required. And we should actually give Twitter a plug here. Twitter is actually one of the few companies that stands up to government right. <laughs> uh, in terms of handing information over all over the world. As opposed Whereas to Google and Facebook, Facebook. Google and the like have been a lot more willing to hand this information over. Twitter has actually gone to court in some instances to try and resist government requests to hand information over. Well, yay for Twitter. Props to them for that one. Uh, and they are in the process of updating some rules in response to a fair bit of public concern about uh, not just abusive uh, commentary, but... Uh, um, threats of violence, um, particularly towards uh, women uh, on Twitter. Uh, a lot of public outrage, I think, about the degree of, uh, of uh, direct uh, intimidation and direct threats of violence uh, has led them to suggest some changes in their rules. Um, what are these, and do you think they're likely to work? Uh, is it likely to work? It's hard to know. Uh, I mean, it can't hurt, I suppose, is is the answer. I mean, the big difficulty with abuse and threats on Twitter, which is a very real problem, is the fact that Twitter is a relatively anonymous social network compared to things like Facebook and, and, and Google. You, you don't need to be a real person necessarily to sign up to a Twitter account, hmm. uh, whereas there's not that same... Whereas it's harder to do that with both uh, Facebook and Google. And that sort of uh, anonymous culture on Twitter, uh, I think, means that people feel a little bit freer to be uh, abusive. 
mm-hmm. on, on that particular uh, space. But they have uh, changed their rules in terms of uh, clarifying what they will and will not tolerate in terms of uh, abusive behaviour. Uh, and they've also added uh, to the platform a way by which uh, people can uh, report abusive behaviour directly to Twitter more easily. Mm-hmm. So rather than, as had previously been the situation, you had to uh, go through this elaborate process of, of, of the website, of filing a report or whatever, uh, it's now much easier in terms of when you see or receive an abusive tweet, you can just report it then and there. Uh, and, and the hope is that this will... Uh, make it easier, first of all, for people to report, and then second of all, make it easier for Twitter to act upon that. Now, speaking of people being extremely abusive and bullying, um, a segue, which might not sound obvious immediately, to Doctor Who. The new Doctor Who announced, who is uh, best known as the guy that swears perpetually, permanently in every, uh, well, five times for every sentence uh, from the BBC comedy the thick of it yeah uh peter capaldi plays the malcolm tucker role actually no this guy's a bit of a cult hero for this stuff i I, uh, and you know i i I love swearies as much as anybody probably more than some but i just i don't see why i just think he's a really obnoxious bully i don't mind the swearing i just think he's a jerk and i don't get why people well you think his character on the show sorry yeah yeah. but I, i just don't get why he's popular because he's just a bully but anyway um, more importantly, he's uh, going to switch from that to being Doctor Who. Presumably there'll be less swearing. Now I, that I would uh, expect he's, so, yes. He's Doctor Who. And uh, he's 55 years old, which is a bit of a shift from Matt Smith, who was mm. about 10. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's, uh, that's something. And the 12th Doctor was a thing way, way, way back, where they said the Doctor only gets, or Time Lords only get 12 regenerations. So. Oh, really? Uh, but I'm sure they'll find a way around it. I'm, I'm sure they will. I can't imagine this will be the end. No. Uh, so, yes, just thought I'd mention that. A bit of a, bit of a significant moment in uh, popular culture history. Uh, and switching with no segue at all across to, just quickly, uh, a couple of... Another app, an app that helps you track down your keys and wallet. This sounds very handy. It does sound a little handy. It's a little... Is it going to completely some... compromise your privacy or something Well, it's a, it's a little app called uh, Tile. Basically, you install or put on your keys or in your wallet, whatever, this little white uh, tile. Um, That's what exactly what it uh, looks like. And then you can uh, use uh, an app uh, on your phone uh, to be able to... You know, track down where it is that you may have placed your keys or wallet or whatever it is. Uh, so it does sound uh, kind of uh, clever. Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a little bit dubious if there is really the need for this. I'm not sure how many people do really lose their keys or wallet or small little things in such a uh, extraordinary rate that they need to have this device. And you'd also have thought that if you're losing your phone, your keys and your wallet, you're probably losing your phone as well. Mm. Um, so how good is the app going to be? But it's, 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 it's clever little technology. Well, that find phone um, thingy provision of iPhones mm. where if you lose it or well, can't find it, you can get online and it'll tell you, which yeah. also reminds you that you're being tracked every minute of the day. Um, yeah, I've used that a couple of you times. Use it? Yeah, I've never used that. Yeah, yeah. No. Mm. Well, yes. I'd, but what's it called again? The app? This, oh, app? On, on, this one is called yep. Tile. Tile, okay. Hmm. All right, well, another one for people to try out. 
Uh, that's all we've got time for this morning, I'm afraid. So um, we'll um, wrap it up there. Got uh, Z Lines and then Tweetback Radio. Got Senator Claire Moore coming in next week about 7.30 or so. Mm-hmm. She's one of the Labor senators up for election this time around. Um, so people might want to listen into that. And uh, you'll be back next week as well. Excellent. I will indeed. Great.